You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. There's, there's so many issues and so many problems that are constantly plaguing um, a lot of people in the higher-ups. There's marital unfaithfulness, there's financial theft, murder, rape, deceit. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, and when you're in a position of leadership, it seems that people are expecting, maybe even waiting, okay, for you or for someone, the leadership, to slip up in some way. In fact, many of us are scarred. I think, because a role model of ours, someone who was in a position of leadership, someone who was in a position of power and influence, maybe it was a father, maybe it was a mother, maybe it was an older brother or sister figure, maybe it was a boss or a teacher that you admire, they messed up so big. It was so big that it's still messing with us deep down inside. It's created a lot of just issues within us. A lot of insecurities are plaguing us, and so we've begun to question anything and everything. Even, even the most innocent intention um, is deeply scrutinized between just even friends and new relationships and things like that. There's a lot of just insecurities, a lot of confusion, questioning. Maybe, maybe a friend of yours, uh, someone that you truly, uh, dearly trusted in, betrayed your confidence. That stinks. The one friend you could trust and confide in ends up blathering on to everyone who would be, who's willing to hear about your deepest, darkest secrets and failures. And so you're wounded, you're in pain, you're humi- humiliated. And the thing is, I think we can all in some way or another relate to these scandals, relate to these issues. I think we've all been betrayed. Maybe, in fact, we've been the betrayer. Maybe we are the ones who hurt other people. Perhaps you had a moral failure. You succumbed to the temptation of the flesh, or maybe you stole, or you cheated your way through school, or you lied, or maybe you haven't. But you knew someone who did and who has, and so knowing that person well, it, it shook you. How could that be? How can that person who I looked up to, who I loved, and who I thought I knew, how could they have done that? And so you question everything that, that was ever built between the two of you that you had with them. And so what we end up yearning for is really, is there anyone out there who is faithful? Is there any leader, any president, any governor, any teacher, any pastor, anyone of power and influence and leadership who, who can just simply just be faithful? Is there anyone who can walk in integrity? Now, having gone through several books of the Bible these past years, you all probably know by now that Really, I'm no stranger to calling out the characters of Scripture for who they really are. And really, the purpose in that isn't my doing, but I believe God's, because His aim, God's aim, is is for us to allow to see the utter brokenness in the characters of Scripture. Their brokenness and their sinful rebellion of these individuals who otherwise are highly esteemed. In fact, many of them are our namesake. I was named after King David. Right? And then guess what? When I actually started learning about King David, I went to my parents. I'm like, why did you name me after an adulterer? They're like, oh, that's not why we named you. Right? But these people, they're broken and they're sinfully rebellious. But here's the thing. We have to understand God is God and they are not. 
God is God and they are not. And so it should never be about the greatness of him or the greatness of her or how we can aim to be like them or even the person I'm named after. I want to be just like King David. No, 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 no. I am not elevating King David in my life. The only person I'm going to elevate is Jesus. That's who I want to be like. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to be like Jesus. It's not about honoring man. It's about honoring God. Amen? And so we know the sins that have stained all these biblical figures from Adam all the way till recently, last week, Judah. And so our understanding of biblical scandals is probably not too foreign. You're probably like, yeah. I know, these people are pretty messed up. However, interestingly, we've come to a passage that's really a phenomenon. This is the account of Joseph's faithfulness. This is an account of a man with, an integ- with integrity who did not compromise. Joseph, by no means, is perfect. Say, Joseph is not perfect. But the recording of his seemingly impeccable life, I think it should be noted. So let's take a look at Joseph today. Everyone say, let's look at Joseph now. I got two truths to make today, okay? First is this, God, he keeps his covenant. Say, God keeps his covenant. Now, there's a great book called Promise and Deliverance. The great controlling truth in this book is that the Bible is not a story about Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and David or even Apostle Paul. The Bible is a story about God. You hear that? The Bible is a story about God. The Bible is God's self-revelation. In other words, the Bible is the way in which God has chosen to reveal himself to us at this time. So that's why whenever we read the Bible, whenever we read any good story in Scripture, until you have actually learned a lesson, a truth, and you have discovered something about God, until that happens, you need to keep digging. You get that? You need to keep digging. Because if all you're getting is, oh, I need to be kind. I need to be good. I need to be loving. If that's all you're getting, then keep reading. Keep reading. Everyone say the Bible is about God's story. So where do we find God's covenant here in this passage? Well, remember how earlier on we read that God, he promised to be with his people? This was his promise to Abraham as he made the covenant. Then it got reaffirmed multiple times once to Isaac, and then to Jacob at Bethel, and then again to Jacob when he left Uncle Laban's house. And that's exactly what we find here in verse 2 of this chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. Then again in verse 21, he was there in prison. The Lord was with Joseph. Then again in verse 23, the Lord was with him. I wonder how often we forget that in the midst of our trials that God, he is with us. Now, like, let that sink in for a second. God is with us. You know, I went um, to the um, Target. To the Target. (laughs) I should have just said store. I went to a store, and I was with Ada. And, you know, Target has a lot of aisles, and it's large and everything like that. Well, we went there, and I took my daughter there, and I... I don't like it when she strays. And so I like, I like teaching her lessons. You get what I'm saying? Parents nod. You've done, okay, whatever, right? So she'll, she'll kind of play with her toys. And I say, I say, Ada, eyes on me. Come on, let's go. And she'll get distracted with toys. And finally, I'll just kind of, you know, slip away. But I'll keep my eyes on her. And I'll see her. And she's playing with her toys. All of a sudden, she'll stop because she senses 
that I'm gone. And so she quickly puts it down and she goes, Daddy! Daddy! And I'll keep it hush. And she'll start kind of freaking out. Maybe this isn't the best way to teach her child, okay? I'm like creating a psychological damage there, but I'm like, this is, this is for her own good, right? And it's also quite hilarious. So she's, she's saying, Daddy, Daddy, where are you, right? And eventually I'll pop and I'll scare her because I got to make things worse, right? I go, I go Ada! And she's like, ah! I said, you see? <laughs> Just, you see? And I was walking, no, I was, you see? You got to always have eyes on me. Do you want to lose daddy? And she goes, no. I'm like, don't you ever forget this moment. <laughs> you know what's sad? We have grown so accustomed to losing God. It doesn't create a sense of urgency anymore. And so we, we forget. We forget that. We forget his presence. And we forget, and we're, and we're also quite so willing to be distracted, aren't we? And to look at the pretty things. And forget that God, he's, he's there with us. And so in our times of trial and, and need, when the day is going horrible because work is just, has just become so insufferable, when, when, the, when the pain and the hardship of your relationship, whether it's in your marriage or in your friendship or in your relationship with a significant other, is just so burdensome, we kind of forget but God, he's reminding us today right now, he's, he's not going to play that trick that I did, obviously, on my daughter to you, but he's saying, I'm here. Why do you keep forgetting that? I'm here. I am with you. Why do you keep forgetting that? Folks, God is with you all the time and everything because that is his promise to you. And up until my daughter becomes an adult, that is my promise to her as well. I will be there for her. When you're misunderstood, God is with you. When you're in pain, God is with you. When you're unjustly accused, God is with you. Say to your neighbor, God is with you. But not only that, God's covenant is also promised to bless his people. Again, you've heard God say that he would make Abraham into a great nation and bless him and make his name great. You've heard that before. So we read in verse 3, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. We're talking about Joseph here. Then in verse 23, that, that truth is then repeated again. And whatever he did, Joseph, the Lord made it succeed. Now here's the thing. Our consumer mentality, this idea of success, is trying to violently shove its interpretation of success down our throats. Success isn't just material gain. And in Joseph's case, success certainly wasn't favorable circumstances. You get that? Because his entire life, Joseph's entire life, was wrought with problem after problem after problem. You think you got problems. So what is this blessing of his people then? What does it mean? Look at all those verses that we've just read. What phrase preceded the word success? It was the Lord. The Lord. Meaning success isn't what happens or how much profit occurs or what the results are. Hear me on this. True success is not where you are, but whether God is with you where you're at. Does that make sense? It's not about where you are in life. It's not about how much you've made or what you've achieved or what you've done and accomplished. No, no. It's about is God with you where you're at. 
You see, before we start getting carried away thinking that our lives can be trouble-free, look at the promises of God to his people. God, he did not promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of life free of problems. These guys had to live as aliens, as foreigners, as strangers in the land that God promised them. In fact, they all died having never actually possessed what God promised them. Why? Because the covenant is so much more The promise and the blessing of God to you and to me is so much more than just getting earthly riches. It is more than simply getting a name for yourself. It is more than simply getting that degree or the high diploma. The covenant was a privilege for any of God's people to be a part of because through this covenant, God will make us a part of his great eternal kingdom. I want to be a part of God's great eternal kingdom than this world. Do you? God's covenant would bring bring a blessing on the whole world, on the whole earth through Abraham's descendants, and God's covenant would bring a Savior to remove the curse of sin. What do you want? Do you want true, eternal, spiritual freedom, or do you want just a couple extra digits in your bank account? Because that's what we're living for these days. Let me ask you this. What if... God never heals you from the issues that you're facing right now? What if God never heals you? What if God never changes your circumstance? What if God, he doesn't make your life better in terms of comfort and ease? Can you still hold on to the covenant promises of God? Can you still trust that God is good or, who, or is who God is directly tied in with whether you, get, you think, whether you get what you think you deserve or not? God's covenant was so much bigger than any one person, and it was certainly bigger than Joseph's comfort. But according to God's plan here, Joseph had to go to Egypt to fulfill God's promise to Abraham and 400 400 years stay there. So God, he allowed Joseph to be sold as a slave and carted off to to this foreign land that Joseph never really knew of. He didn't know the language. Joseph had to come to Pharaoh's attention and rise to power. So what did God do? God allowed him to be falsely accused and thrown into the king's prison where he'd be eventually discovered. Joseph's task for which God sent him to Egypt was this, to preserve God's people in the coming famine. So we'll see Joseph rise to power in Pharaoh's court as all these events merge. But why do God's people need to be preserved? even if it's at the cost of Joseph's life. Because from this family, you have to get this. This is not about Joseph. This is not about you. This is not about anyone else but God. God will use his family because from this family will come the Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom God will fulfill everything about his covenant, the promise of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Did you know, folks, that we are a part of this great unfolding story of redemption? We are. That we are purposed and created to tell and retell the story of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. You see, life is just so much more than just you and me. Like, we need to really get off our high horses when we think life is about just me and my comfort and my happiness and my satisfaction. Especially if you're a Christian. It's about making this church great. No, it's about making God's church great. It's so much more than making a mark in human history so that people remember your name. 
the Christian rap artist Lecrae. It's so interesting because I, I wrote this a few days ago, and then I was just reading an article today saying that Lecrae said he's not going to continue working as a Christian artist. Anyways, so he tweeted this. <laughs> he said, better to have a small role in God's story than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. What do you want to be a part of? Are you tired of this rat race? Are you tired of this rat race? Because that's what everyone else is in. And it starts, it's so interesting how we have youth students have just entered the EM because it started way before that. You, you get your grade. You try to get into TJ so you can get to Harvard, so you can get that job, and you ain't get that job, you get that income. You get the income so you get that wife, and you get the wife so you get those kids, and you get that family so you can have that white with a house with a white picket fence and you can continue on and on and on and on. What do we call that? That's the rat race. Is that what we're striving for? Is that what we think life is all about? And it is not. God is saying, I got something bigger. I got something greater. I got something eternal. Be a part of that. And so, folks, the struggles that you're facing in your life right now, they are purposed and they are missional. Your wounds that you have, that you have uh, incurred throughout your life through the pains and the tragedies and the poor decisions or just the being victimized, whatever, your wounds, they may be deep, but God, he wants to use them. He wants to use them to draw those who are hurting to him. You know, I think a lot of people, we really, you may not admit it, but I think you enjoy reading autobiographies. We like just hearing about people's stories, don't we? Right? We like reading, uh, watching movies about people's or famous people and things like that. And, and I like reading them because I get floored every time I read about their struggles and how they're able to rise uh, to the occasion and really make it through. And I believe that we as Christians, we are so willing to be inspired by others. We're so willing to be inspired by others who have fought the fight well, who have run the race well, who have stood in faith and have pressed on, and so they're able to share their amazing testimony, and it certainly encourages us and inspires us too. And yet, we know from Joseph's story that God, he's saying, hey, I want to do that with you. You know that book, that 400-page book that you read about his story and his struggles? Yeah, I want, I want to write a 400-page story about your life, about your struggles. You know, there's no such thing as bench sitting in the Christian life. The chapter you're in right now in your life will indeed be a part of your final testimony, your autobiography, if you will. We are called to be witnesses to his great love for us, even if it means using our own lives. And Joseph, he was prepared to do that. He was prepared to live a life of complete suffering, even if it meant that God would receive glory and that he would not. Now here's my final point. We need to keep faith in the Lord. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, keep the faith. Okay. <clears throat> so Joseph clearly kept faith during the years of prosperity in Potiphar's house. And it was the years that Joseph was a slave to him. Yet we're told really during those years, we're not told a whole lot about what happened. But here's a quick rundown of Joseph's timeline in Egypt, okay? So Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when Pharaoh appoint, promoted him. He had been in prison a couple years, two years, and so that leaves really 11 years of service in Potiphar's house. 
So obviously we know that Joseph, he didn't start out in charge of everything, but God was keeping his covenant and allowing Joseph to be successful and to move upwards, but sometimes move downwards and to sometimes move sideways, right? Ultimately, Potiphar promoted Joseph repeatedly because, again, he had been proven himself faithful. But it wasn't just about working with integrity because Joseph's integrity was directly locked into his faithfulness to the Lord. Let me say that again. If you, are, if you are wanting to live a life of integrity, it is directly connected to your faith in God. You see that? You cannot say when you're living a life of just complete deceit and manipulation and gossip and turmoil and all that stuff and say you're living in faithfulness to God. That is an oxymoron. That doesn't, com- it competes, it contradicts. Joseph was able to live a life of integrity because it was directly connected to his relationship with his father, with his spiritual father, his heavenly father. So I want to get into the story here. The story of temptation by Potiphar's wife. Okay, so here's a few things that I believe, okay, are kind of application but practical steps in terms of recognizing how temptation comes. And so if you want to jot this down, do it if you want. First is this. Joseph's temptation was powerful because it came from a natural desire. Now, do you guys get that? Sex, physical intimacy, those are natural things. They're in fact holy and good things within the confines of marriage. But Satan, he can certainly tempt us by perverting that desire. So we're all good about justifying that. We say, hey, have sex, do whatever you want. Why? Because it's natural. Yeah, of course it's natural. But it's not, what is it? Sanctified by God. It has to be within the confines of biblical marriage. Second, the temptation was strong because Joseph was away from home. What do I mean by that? Home, church, people I know are the ways in which God holds me accountable and perhaps the ways in which God holds you accountable. You know, it's really interesting talking with former youth students, and it's none of you guys here at least, but um, former youth students who have graduated college, here's the thing. When they were here, when they were youth students or when they would visit they would never have premarital sex, this is from what they've told me. They would never indulge in, in uh, drugs or anything like that, fill in the blank. But the moment that they go to college, they would partake in those things. They would go ahead and just totally live a life of complete promiscuity. And by the way, this isn't just college. It can be a business trip too. It can be while you're on vacation. The, the idea is this. Guard yourself against temptation when you're away from home. Right? Makes sense. Third, temptation was strong because Potiphar's wife was an important person. Now, we all know that people of influence and power, they have a certain power over us. So don't ever assume that you are not susceptible to the pressure of those who are in high position. They can certainly manipulate you, kind of stronghold you, and, and, and force you to do certain things. Fourth, this temptation came after Joseph's promotion. It's sad, but I have actually a couple of friends who have fallen from their marriages. And it all happened, without doubt, it all happened after they confided in me that it was because of success. They got a little bit of success, and it makes them think that somehow the rules no longer apply to them. Why do so many megachurch pastors, perhaps, so many celebrity pastors have moral failures? The success invites a lot of temptation, and it brings a deep sense of pride and infallibility, thinking, well, I'm above the law. I can do whatever I want and get away with it. Fifth, 
The temptation was strong because Potiphar's wife was repeatedly making advances on him, towards him. Temptation tends to wear us down, and that's really the tricky thing about temptation. It's not like a one-time deal, like, I'm going to tempt you, and you go, no, saying you go, oh, and saying goes, oh, all right, you win. <laughs> and by the way, he never really goes for those knockout punches. It's always the chipping away. He chips away at us. Because at first, whatever the temptation might be, it may seem unthinkable. I would never do that. I would never condone that. I would never commit myself to that. But then eventually, it starts getting probable, maybe impossible. And it's then finally even desirable. You see, that's what Satan does. He chips away. We need to remove ourselves from the position of being repeatedly tempted. Amen? And lastly, temptation was strong because it often seizes the perfect opportunity. Now, what I mean by that is this. Temptation will present itself at the best time for you. <laughs> it will. At the best time for you, at a time when no one is around, at a time when no one will ever know, and a time when you will think, what is there to lose? That is when it hits you. And so it appeared that because Joseph was able to understand these temptations, he did the right thing. He avoided the situation as much as he could, and when the situation became unavoidable, and I love this, he dropped everything and he ran. He dropped everything and he ran. By the way, if you look at verses 8 and 9, you can really you read what Joseph was thinking. You see, fighting temptation is not just about fleeing in ignorance. Joseph very well understood what was happening and why he needed to resist. There was a lot of common sense here. Let me read it. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of, uh, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph, he understood that he has been given everything. Everything. He has been entrusted with the whole house and all the things of the house, and yet... Things, these things he knew, he did, it did not belong to him. He understood that this trust was a high privilege, but get this, he also understood that there were limits to what was in his care, and that care did not include Potiphar's wife. But here's the thing. Common sense is great, right? But without understanding the holiness of God, common sense can also be greatly skewed. Because Joseph, he could have said this. He could have easily reasoned, you know what? I've been running this place for years. I'm getting all the responsibility, more burdens, more tasks, more duties, but none of the benefits. So wait, there's, there's this woman who's pretty attractive, and she clearly finds me attractive as well. It's obvious to see that Potiphar has been neglecting her. So why not take advantage of the situation for my own pleasure? Because what Potiphar won't know won't hurt him. Now here's the thing, people. Sexual promiscuity was rampant, and it was assumed among slaves. They all did it. Many of them were actually sexually used by the masters and the mistresses of the household. So it could have certainly just been another day in Potiphar's household. You see, we can reason all we want to justify our sinful intent, which is why Joseph didn't just end with, this is morally wrong, therefore I should stop. No. He ends his thought with this understanding, the understanding of who God is and what God has done for him. Verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
How awesome was that? Think about that for a second. In the heat of the moment, in the middle of all that pressure and temptation of instant gratification, Joseph was able to see beyond the situation. He saw beyond the day. He saw beyond the pleasure because he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this. In your bouts, in your fights, in your combating of temptation, what do you see? Do you just see the pleasure? Do you see the justification? Well, I can do this. Why not? Or do you see the Lord? Now, hear me now, folks. The thing about Joseph's resistance to sin only made me aware of the many times that I failed God. The many times that we've all, I'm sure, failed God. And that's really the problem with moralizing sermons because they either puff up the self-righteous, the ones who say, I've never done that and I'll never do that, or it'll destroy those who are guilty, those who say, man, I really messed up. Man, I really see no hope in this situation. But this is where we need to get back to the main point of the story because this chapter isn't a paradigm of Joseph's life. It's about Jesus. Hear me out. And the message of Jesus is this. It is good news to sinners. Amen. Because even though we have failed, Jesus has been proven faithful in our place. Joseph, he may have set a great example for us, but Jesus has set the perfect example. Jesus resisted the temptations of Satan in wilderness. In fact, Hebrews 4, we're told that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. But Jesus, he didn't just do this to prove that it could be done. Jesus was our faithful substitute, both in his perfect living, but also in his sacrificial death. Now, maybe some of you guys have a wounded conscience, conscience right now because you failed where Joseph succeeded. You failed where Joseph was faithful. And so those wounds, the guilt that you carried for so long, they've, they've bound you tighter and tighter with guilt with each passing year. I messed up big time. I screwed up so bad. So you feel disqualified in many ways. Ashamed. You know, we opened up our serving opportunities this past Sunday. We only got six people. We have weekly tennis of over 100. Yeah, I'm not trying to make a joke. A lot of people say, I feel disqualified. I am not good enough. I am not holy enough. I am not righteous enough. I am not perfect enough. But I want you guys to hear what God is saying today. Because as great as Joseph was, and we all would love to be like Joseph, certainly. But as great as Joseph was, he was still, get this, as great as he was, he was still not good enough. Because he too was a recipient of God's covenantal promises. Which means this, that he too needed the forgiveness of sin and to be restored back to the Lord. But those blessings cannot be received apart from the grace of God. Look, I end with this. There is no one outside of Christ who is perfect enough. You know that. I hope you guys know that by now. There is no one outside of Christ who is good enough to deserve anything good, anything gracious, anything kind from God. We are all recipients of God's grace. It's not about fixing our lives to reflect a Josephian life. It's about surrendering our broken lives in humble hope that God would receive us by His grace. You get that? Look, I've tried 
I've tried fixing my life to make it more palatable, to make it more suitable, to make it more acceptable, and I can't do it anymore because I was never meant to do it. By God's grace, I now take such pleasure in the freedom to surrender my deepest failures to my highest achievements because I am no longer defined by what I do or don't do. I am now defined by what Christ has done. And despite all the baggage I continue to live in, with despite all the baggage I continue to bring in all my relationships in every avenue of my life and everything that I struggle with, I know for a fact that I am free. Not because of me, but because of Christ. Do you get that? I don't have to live a Joseph life because the life of Christ has already been lived. And he is perfect. And he is good. And he is forgiving. And he says, come to me. Surrender. That's it. Surrender yourself to him. Let's pray. How incredibly... Reassuring is it knowing that God and his promises are unfailing, that they are constant, that his covenant promises and blessings, that when he makes his promises, they are true for all days. When God says he is with you, he is with you. When God says that he is your God, he is your God. When God says that he is willing to forgive us if we humble ourselves. He will forgive us. You may not bank on the promises of others because you've been hurt too many times, but you see, the promises of God will stand true. But not only that, do you have faith in what he's accomplished on the cross? Do you have faith? And what does it mean to have faith in the accomplishment of Jesus' death and sacrifice? It means to surrender. It means to relinquish every part of who you are, your ambitions, your thoughts, your pride, your, your, your strength, your self-righteousness, thinking that I got this. It is to relinquish and surrender all that and say, Jesus, take me. Lead me. Be my Savior, yes, but be my Lord. Be the master of my life. I now realize I know nothing. But Christ, if I have you, I have everything. I don't know what the Lord is telling you today, this moment, but I want to encourage you guys, take this moment and pray and dig deep until you hear what the Lord is trying to teach you it's not about how can I have a perfect Josephian life it's none, none of that but God is telling you something so take a moment and pray take a moment and meditate on what you've heard now's the time not tomorrow but now let's pray